Welcome in, all you football addicts. Happy Football Friday. We have a a full load of people today. I don't think we've ever had this many people on the show. Um, but I want to welcome to the show uh, Michelle Meyer, NIL coordinator at San Diego State and founder of the uh, NIL Network as well. Great to have you here, Michelle. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And you're actually making history on the show. You're our first ever woman to be on the show. So that's gonna be a symbol for that. Where's my reaction? That's it. I've tried to get some some other uh, of my former classmates on. Uh, can't make it on, but we also have back on the show <laughs> University of Georgia professor Dave Muai and I guess Maryland consultant too, right? <laughs> Yes. Good to be with you. Nice to meet everyone. So, Glad to uh, have you back. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're going to start off uh, with Michelle and talking about some NIL stuff. I thought it was great timing that we scheduled you for this show in particular, having the NFL Combine going on. Uh, not that it has too much to deal with NIL, but uh, talking about college players going to the pros sort of a correlation so yeah combine um, i think also going into march madness we're going to see a, a lot of activity kind of spiking over the next couple of weeks here so gonna be exciting time yeah for sure uh so yeah just starting off uh give us a little bit about uh, your position at san diego state and uh, what you do yeah so uh, i was hired at san diego state um in november so i guess now it's been uh, about four months here and really with this position being so new across the country, I think that San Diego State was the fourth or fifth um, institution around the country to, to hire for an NIL-specific position. At a lot of other schools, um, really the NIL duties have just been tagged on to either you know, the assistant compliance director, student athlete development, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a position that we're seeing really rapidly grow across the country. I think there's about seven positions that are open right now for, mm -hmm. for NIL-specific um, uh, roles. So coming into this position in November, I mean, it is a, a blank slate um, because it hasn't been done before. And I think that that's just such a, a cool opportunity to um, check out the trends and what's working around the country and to, to build the position. So within my role, um, I always work in the office. I'm here right now at San Diego State. Uh, I sit around the student athlete development and, and academics um, offices so that I have access to the athletes. They can walk in whenever they want and, and talk to me about any NIL opportunities that have been brought to them. Um, and we can work through, you know, just a, a couple of different things if they're looking to work with a service provider or working with a brand and what those could look like, kind of um, building their personal brand, optimizing their social media, all of those parts of it, as well as some protective type education, what they should be looking out for in contracts, um, uh, uh, the financial side, taxes, all of that good stuff. So that's definitely, I would say, the, the, the most important part of my role. Um, second part that is going to be massive here, we're actually looking to launch our NIL program pretty soon here, so I'm very, very excited um, to get that out publicly. But I think another part is going to be a, um, a lot of community engagement and education um, for them as well, because, you know, we're here in San Diego where we have close to 100,000 businesses, right. but... I would imagine that probably 90% of those have never done um, any kind of influencer campaign before, 
nevertheless trying to navigate what it looks like for our um, working college athletes. So really talking to our our fans, the alumni, donors, as well as all the local businesses about um, what that looks like, really, and educating them on some of the trends around the country and, and then uh, letting them go from there. Yeah, uh, I couldn't even imagine. I know I have a hard enough time marketing for this thing, trying to get get people interested in in a football podcast where there's a million other you know football podcasts out there to listen to. But um, so I guess you kind of answered the uh, how the NIL situation is at San Diego State. I don't know if you've had any uh, contact with any of the other schools uh, within the Mountain West um, or how that whole dynamic yeah. works. It's been, um, obviously with the, so I also founded, as you mentioned, NIL Network. So I've been really studying the space extensively for about the past year and a half and following kind of how these trends have developed. It's been absolutely fascinating to me, but really it started you know, with these university-specific platforms, the collective groups, the hyper-localized marketplaces definitely started um, out in the Southeast and Southeast Conference, which makes a ton of sense. And now it's slowly started growing West. So I think overall um, in the Mountain West Conference, but really on the West Coast in general, mm-hmm. we just haven't seen the, the same number of those hyper-localized platforms pop up. I mean, we know Oregon has it and Washington, Washington State from uh, Pac-12. But in terms of um, in terms of our conference, you know, Boise State has Influencer Local Exchange that they launched a couple of weeks ago. Uh, UNLV is partnered with Print Sports, so I think that they're going to have some cool things that are coming up. Um, but I think until universities can really get that that platform that is working on behalf of. Um, connecting athletes at a particular institution with the local businesses and fans, the activity stays mod- like pretty low around the country. Um, and so that's that's part of what we're trying to launch here in the next couple of weeks because it's really trying to point everyone at the same place. So athletes go here if you want to find those local deals and opportunities with our fans. And then also for the fans and local businesses, you can find all the San Diego State athletes here on this one platform. So I think that's a huge, crucial step in just – making it so much easier for both sides of the spectrum to um, to work through what those NIL opportunities look like. So um, I think it's growing. I think that, you know, probably by the, eh, I don't know if by the end of this year, but in the next couple of years, every every school in Mountain West should have that, that university-specific platform that's helping facilitate deals on behalf of athletes at, at each institution. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that's, that's definitely cool uh, to get just one thing, one place where they can find everyone. Um, so how do you think that uh, the coming about of NIL has changed sort of the college athlete, athletic landscape, you know, talking about players going certain places because of opportunities um, more – towards NIL then maybe athletically or if NIL changes where they go? I think it's definitely becoming more of a, a part of the conversation. Um, for better or worse, I know a lot of coaches around the country are, are not um, very happy with just 
oh, this kind of got, uh, you know, the NCAA punted last minute to the institutions and to go by the state NIL laws. And obviously the, the trends now are that these collectives and, and groups are popping up for the intent of recruiting purposes. And I, I know that one one group in particular was pretty vocal about, you know, we talked to all of the recruits and then they all committed to our school. And you're going, there's a third party that's talking to all these recruits. Like, I wonder if that had any inducement in it. But I think that, um, you know, it definitely is becoming part of the conversation, especially in the revenue generating sports, um, football and basketball. I think it'll trickle down more to our Olympic sports probably in the next couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's going to be just really interesting to monitor and and see, you know, what, what impact that has. And it, a lot of people are saying, you know, we, we're waiting for a federal bill or the NCAA to implement more guidelines or whatnot. I don't know how they would write the language. Um, again, I don't have the background in law, but I've thought about this quite a bit. And the parts that we don't necessarily like about NIL, using it as a recruiting inducement and, and further separation of the house versus have not. Um, I don't know how you would write that out of a bill because really with, with NIL and companies that are building marketing campaigns and whatnot, are you going to say, you know, you, you can't pay this kid $50,000 to, you know, support your business or whatever that might look like. So it's going to be a wild world for quite a few years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the NCAA is just scrambling right now. They, they have no idea. They don't want to get sued from, from anyone. <laughs> so, uh, I know that's a big, big deal with them not doing much. Um, yeah, and I just, I don't know that even, they just don't, they're very much backed into a corner right now, like you kind of said, so we'll see where that ends up. It's okay. We can just, you know, dissolve them like everyone's been saying for the last couple of years anyways and make the new whatever power structure. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do it, but yeah. <laughs> talking about uh, the combine, since that's one of our, uh, main topics on the show today. Do you think because this class of players going into the NFL draft this year would be the first kind of frontier players to uh, deal with NIL a little bit, um, do you think it is going to influence players to either stay in school or go pro, especially when it comes to you know the players – that aren't the top guys, the guys that are kind of projected in the later rounds or undrafted? Yeah, I would say more of like the, the fringe players, um, definitely. And I think we've already kind of seen that uh, right when NIO went into effect and some of the, the basketball players who had uh, declared for the draft were like, oh, wait, now I can do this. So then they <laughs> went back to their team for another year and potentially increased you know, their, their draft round pick or whatever that might look like. So. Um, I do think that's going to become part of the conversation. And I also think that uh, whether legal or not, that, that schools, um, companies, boosters, everyone around those athletes are offering, I guess not the schools, but they you know, have the connections to the donors and boosters and, and are saying, okay, what's our dollar amount that we need to create an NIL opportunity to get this athlete to return to play next year versus declaring the draft. And um, my background's not not in football or basketball, so I don't know all the ins and outs of, of what the draft looks like and the different round picks and whatnot, but I do uh, see that happening around the country and, and trying to match whatever, you know, they're signing 
uh, bonus and first year contract would look like with an NIL opportunity to kind of weigh that out and help them come back and compete. So um, again, being eight months or nine months, however far we're in into NIL, I think it's going to be a learning curve for the first couple of years and really see what that impact looks like. Definitely a uh, wild, wild west right now kind of situation. <laughs> it sure is. And I'm not like a huge fan of that phrase, but I have not come up with anything better. So wild west it is. <laughs> um, Chris, Mark, Dave, uh, did you you guys have any other uh, questions in terms of NIL or anything? Well, the one the one thing I kind of was thinking about is, I mean, we've been talking about like football and basketball, but like, is it making a big impact in the other sports too, or is it mainly just football and basketball right now? You know, this is one of the things that I. Uh, haven't really appreciated that much from the first eight months of NIL because of course the media is covering those those big dollar deals and not as much. We're not seeing in the media all the small deals that are being done on campuses across the country. I do think that this year will be the least number of athletes out of our 500,000 or whatnot who engage in any kind of NIL opportunity. And that's because it's just so confusing and hard for them to sort through, um, not only for the athletes and are they really gonna spend so much time making sure it's compliant, not risking their eligibility and all these other not being screwed over from a contract or whatnot for like a free meal or a hundred dollars or whatever that might look like on the other side. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, the local businesses, I don't think they really have a clue yet how to engage with athletes. And I think that that'll open up um, a lot of opportunity for the, the more Olympic sports or non-revenue generating sports because they don't have the same celebrity following um, as these athletes, but I think that there's still going to be opportunities for them, and I think that they could be great partners with a lot of um, companies. Dave? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use a little technology there to get my hand up. Um, so I don't know if that did it show. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, my hand off. Fantastic. Hey, I'm. Um, I apologize. I, somebody was pounding on my door here at my at my home. That's why I hate working from home, um, even on a Friday night at five o'clock. So I apologize for for getting up, um, having to leave. I hope Michelle, I didn't miss too much. I'm. I'm. Uh, I've uh, already uh, can tell you how much I appreciate what you do. I'm. A, I'm old school when it comes to this. Uh, where I'm working at the University of Maryland, um, we are we are struggling. And we're we're not struggling with NIL as much as what NIL has implied what people can do. Um, coaches want and as did, I don't know if you mentioned collectives. Do you have a collective there yet? Did you mention that that I missed that? We we do right. not and we're really I think um, we're looking to launch our program in a couple of weeks here. But in, in, in my mind, because you kind of see how the collectives have popped up around the country, that there's been those who have been started by the, the super fans of the school and they oh, pop yeah. up overnight yeah. versus there's also probably about 12 companies in the space now that started as national marketplaces or potentially bigger agencies that are now niching down and serve, serving athletes from particular institutions. So. What I've kind of talked to San Diego State, like our um, working our leadership team about is, you know, we can we can take more of a pop-up role, sit back and wait 
uh, when inevitably, you know, a, a super fan will create a group in time. And I think that that's a little scary because they don't necessarily understand all the rules of compliance, how to keep athletes eligible, how to keep them safe, how to read a contract. Like they, you know, can pop up these businesses, form an LLC, make a website, and all of a sudden they're running collective on behalf of San Diego State. Well, yeah. Sorry, well, it's, it's, finish real quick. So, or you could select, do more active, you know, side of things, do some research and find the company that you can then point those um, local businesses, people who are interested in working with San Diego State athletes too. So I think that second round is just a little bit safer for, for the athletes. Um, so that's what we're doing. Look for it in a couple of weeks. Well, good luck. Um, it, it's, it's, it's getting pretty crazy. I, uh, the, um, on one spectrum, Texas A&M is raising $30 million in a collective to give $1 million to every recruit signee next year, a million dollars. The average NIL deal, I look, I, I pulled my information. The average NIL deal with at Maryland, Power Five, Big Ten school is $780, okay? Now you're talking about a collective that's gonna somehow mysteriously have these players earn this money but if you've got 25 recruits signed next year, they're each going to get a million dollars. Tennessee's in the process of raising 25 million. Georgia launched theirs yesterday. Um, coaches are driving this now with recruits to because of recruiting. And um, we we do use uh, Open Doors, which has done a great job of of educating our student athletes, but without any rules in place. It's crazy what's going on. And our number one highest earner in NIL was offered a cash payment from an SEC school for $125,000 to come to their school. Then they would get him another deal once he got there. But this was just a transfer cash. Um, so, Michelle, buckle up. Um, it's, it's, it, I mean, because the, the, once the coaches – start putting the pressure on you that's what i worry about you know because they want to you know they they this thing with the collectives is is going to be out of hand real quick and unless yeah. the ncaa and the only rules we were told by the ncaa and the big 10 was you can't be involved in i mean i can't raise money for it or decide who gets it or you know or, or manipulate it but you know that's going to be walking the line but the uh the, the NIL, on the, as it was started, was really pretty noble and really a, a good thing for the kids. Um, most of the, the, the kids in the deals we have are uh, social media activities, um, and, uh, and it goes right down to autograph sessions, which I thought was going to be number one. And autograph sessions of the 145 deals that we've got at Maryland, only 2% are autographs. So, but this is all before the collective starts to, to, um, and we're, and I'm in the process now to, of trying to find a new basketball coach for us at Maryland. And that's question comes up all the time. What kind of collective are you going to have? What kind of money am I going to have to get players? I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's a new day. I don't want to call the Wild West because you're in the West, Michelle. I don't want to, I don't want to brand uh, uh, San Diego State, but but I mean, it, it's just craziness nationwide, coast to coast. So yeah. anyway, I'll be quiet for a while, but uh, <laughs> thanks for letting me on. It's good to be with all of you. Yeah. And I think you're 
you're spot on there. And I don't remember if you were gone during this part of the conversation, but we were talking about um, just what what could be included in a federal bill or an NCAA more, you know, guidance that would, you know, uh, take out those parts that aren't necessarily, but are, are the obvious recruiting inducements that definitely fall, but they fall in line with the interim policy of the NCAA right now. And I just don't know what that would even look like. like I know. I do have another comment. I, I did, I'll try to press that. I'll just raise my hand. <laughs> hey, uh, Michelle and everyone, um, the way the way things have happened since, let's just go back to the 1st of August and come through football season and now here. The state of Alabama has repealed their original NIL law, and they're writing a new one <laughs> to be more competitive with Texas and Georgia and Florida. Um, it's pretty pretty wild. I I'll, uh, I thought it was interesting when the head football coach at Old Miss, Lane Kiffin, who has spent some time out west, he said that Texas A&M should pay a luxury tax uh, for the for having such high priced talent on their team. But uh, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. But um, uh, yeah. great great topic. The the repeal of um, Alabama's state NIL law. There was actually kind of a call from some of the. the <laughs> Some of the leading like NIL sports uh, attorneys in the space that every they're like every state should repeal their NIL law, and that's the only way we're going to get to having a national standard where at least we're all playing by the same yeah. three little bullet points the NCAA gave us. Um, I know that Oregon has amended um, their bill to include uh, or to I think theirs is actually more around royalties for the athletes uh, and listening that up a little bit and. Uh, remember there was I think one other state that's in the process of changing theirs as well so it's moving very quickly <laughs> well I, I wish we had somebody dedicated to it as yourself we we're using our compliance staff and that's and they're you know they're swimming upstream trying to keep up and and with coaches and coaches and boosters uh, calling and writing so we we really need to think about a position uh, as well, so I, I'm, I'm, I applaud you and and uh, John David for getting ahead of that. Yeah, and I think that that that's kind of where I've shifted my um, my I guess what the content that I've been creating for NIL Network. Um, I'm focusing more now on how like it, it, within administration you can help your athletes. Um, like right now, I'm working on a piece like five ways you can help your athletes for free in NIL because I think that. So many schools, most of the schools, even even within the Power Five, they don't have someone dedicated to NIL, and it is growing. It's so hard to keep up with. I am in this space reading about it for hours every day and soaking up everything I can, and it's still very confusing. And so, like, how can I help, you know, the rest of these schools? Because I think also if schools aren't providing guidance and resources to their athletes, then those athletes are choosing, you know, not to engage in the space because they don't feel confident going about this. The last thing they want to do, especially if we're not talking life-changing money here, but risking their eligibility is just not worth it for a hundred bucks a free meal or whatnot. So I'm really hoping um, that in, you know, over the next couple of months that schools will start adding very simple things, you know, your institutional policy, a little frequently asked questions for local businesses, how they can engage with your athletes. Um, even having a, a directory of athletes at your school who are interested in NIL opportunities, I know that you guys have one there, um, so that it's a place that if people are asking questions to coaches, to uh, anyone with that in the athletic department, that you can point them to the site, and then they can go and, and learn there and potentially you know, increase the opportunities for your athletes. 
Yeah, I think the uh, the SEC definitely, if you know, it's ever gonna be a even playing field or even close to that. Uh, I think the SEC definitely is gonna have to be the most regulated. Like Dave was saying about the the millions of dollars they're just paying recruits. Uh, that haven't even stepped on the field yet for them uh, is just ridiculous, especially at the SEC schools um, that have the most money. So, yeah, I'm waiting for uh, Alabama's collective to pop up. We haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young. That may even be too legal. That may be too legal for them. <laughs> they may want to. Give it. it may just keep working in the shadows, not going to be public with a collective. But uh, yeah, I was surprised Georgia was late to it too. They they said they did the press release yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and on well, maybe um, no Wednesday. Wednesday was the day they released the uh, the their the press release and the whole the whole thing. Um, um, I'll, I'll shut up after this. But the 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 other side of these collectives and these these some of these big NIL deals are a little suspicious. Um, student athletes started getting 1099 forms from some companies, um, you know, at the beginning of February. And, and that's really when it starts to like, what, what am I going to do with this? And they're going to pay taxes. And, um, uh, there was a, there's a restaurant chain in, in the Southeast. It's a big sponsor of Southeastern, the Southeastern conference called Zaxby's. And uh, they paid $3 million to, student athletes at Georgia. Uh, and they said they got, the, they, they sent out the tax forms and they were not well received when, when the kids got the, the form. So there's, it's, uh, uh, it's, there's so many sides to this. It's, uh, it's not even, you know, I don't even know what, what, what sort of geometric pattern it forms, but um, I, I heard one lot, time that come, what's that? I heard once that um, some student athletes uh, were not disclosing to their school because they thought if they disclosed, then they'd have to pay taxes. You know, like the school. The school's the last. We're 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 not even thinking about it. We're we're there to we're there to we're there to advise and 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 educate. Uh, Maybe that's sort of the same thing, but we're just there to to educate and, and you know and maybe connect them with open doors. Uh, and Open Doors is starting to get into the collective business now too, to try to try to keep some connection to it, stay relevant. Um, but yeah, these 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 kids that picked up, you know, half million dollars last year. I mean, that's a that's a forty percent tax in Georgia, and and I wonder how much of that money's laying around the dorm room um, to to pay to pay by April fifteenth. So. Anyway, and, and that, was, of, that was another kind of interesting, um, you know, speculation going into the NIL era about looking at the, and this is nothing the NCAA could ever control, but looking at the different state taxes, um, right. and look like Florida with no state tax versus California. Yeah. It's like, do those states that have an inherent advantage, at least for those yeah. Revenue generating sport athletes, the very top of the top, the celebrity type athletes that are going to be pulling in six or seven figures. That's kind of a, that's a lot of money um, that you would be, you know, given back if you uh, 
went to California and said, go to Florida. So I'm curious how much that is being built into the recruiting that for the, the states that don't have uh, safe taxes. Yeah. And, and that, and that same conversation is being had by boosters with government officials about how they're, you know, what's going on, you know, because the governors all want success in their state schools. But sometimes, you know, the Southeast is, is, this is, it's off the chart. I live in Atlanta and still teach in in Athens and I'm on that campus a lot, but um, this is different. It's just different in the Southeast. Yeah. So anyway, but good luck to you on, on everything. And Rusty, thank you for letting me join in. I hadn't been on with you in a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Great to have yeah, you. Yeah, but uh, maybe I'll come back on when the Steelers start to drafting a quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can uh, you can bring Matt on, Matt Canada on. Yeah. <laughs> if he's we'll finally if he's finally allowed, if he's finally allowed. He, I don't know. He lays low. Um, but anyway, but um, but anyway, thank you for letting me uh, uh, listen in and 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 say a few things and and um, it's a great topic. For sure. Fun one. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm gonna try to get Michelle to move to Maryland if she can. If she'll come cross country. We'll put her to work. We'll give you the job. You'll be you'll be recruited from all over the country once this gets out. Hey, and by the way, Rusty, you owe me. I, I I'm, I'm wearing the Under Armour deal. I think that's part of my NIL deal with Under Armour. So I don't know if they pay me or you pay me. Who pays me? Uh, I don't know if if Under Armour would Probably like can. to would like to sponsor Probably. us. Uh, that'd be that'd be cool. <laughs> We can, hey, did uh, you uh, did you get to the rights to use that the intellectual property of Maryland though, um, in conjunction with your NIL opportunity? Well, first of all, I'm not sure we have anything intellectual going on right now on this topic for with, if I'm involved. But um, but yeah, that's and and Under Armour is one of those places that that they're they're trying to cause trouble. So maybe it'll work. Maybe they'll get some more business out of it. But anyway, you guys have a great weekend. Thank you too, Dave. All right, buddy. Thanks for coming. <laughs> see ya. Um, Michelle, do you think that the conferences will, you know, instead of the NCAA making an overarching policy, or do you think if the NCAA is going to make a policy, do you think it starts with the conferences making conference-wide policy and then, you know, the NCAA looks at those and kind of You know, I think that that could be the route that it goes, but I think we're going to end up in the same situation now with the, you know, the institutions writing their institutional policies looked very different on July 1st than it does now, because again, it's all recruiting advantages. So schools are going, oh crap, like we've limited X, Y, Z, and now our rival allows that, and now we're losing that. So these institutional policies can be amended to be more, more open, I guess, and I would imagine that might happen at the conference level as well, because they don't want to disadvantage themselves either, maybe not at the same level of institutions, but um, yeah, I don't know, it's a tough one. (laughs) Uh, Mark, I know you haven't spoken yet, I know you're on the road, I don't know if you had any questions. Don't make me get on my soapbox. Um, <laughs> the best word to use for anything the NCAA does is reactive, and nothing is is proactive. Uh, it's a great, great conversation. I've worked in NCAA, and I'm working for Major League Baseball, and we're in a lockout, right? But what's a way to generate revenue? Go take care of your minor leagues. Um, and so NIL is just 
just replay this when we're all done on this uh, Zoom today. And everything was about recruiting. Everything was about what coaches wanted, right? Everything was about everything but the actual player besides what Michelle's doing. She's worried about them. So you have one one person in place. And how many athletes do you have on a campus? Exactly. And you're asking one person to do this? So what did people really expect when the NIL deal was put into place? Of course it was going to be for recruiting. I mean, if I'm a football coach, right, and I I have a really good offensive line, right, I would get them a deal, a huge deal in NILs as a group, like a group deal. And then I'd go out and try to find my quarterback and tell them, hey, you're not going to get hit because I've already got my NIL deals done for my offensive line. Let's say I'm an SEC school that has been starting a, a walk-on, right? What a better way than to say I'm taking care of my linemen. You're never going to get hit. And so it's funny that we're talking about this. And then, like you said, you're, you're, you didn't go to law school, but you're in the NIL position. Well, what does that look like when all the guys are getting deals? What about female sports? Is that a Title IX issue? And then we talk about, hey, California taxes are different than Florida. I'll tell you who's going to be woke up. Miami's about to come back on the scene in football. You're telling me no state income tax and deep pockets with these boosters? They're going to be back on the map real fast. And I say this because we're all going to be looking at each other, looking at Michelle going, what do we do? And she's one person taking care of all these athletes. And then you have someone like Mark Emmert, and Lord knows, how does he still have a job being our president? Don't know. If you're the CEO of, you know, of Sprint or, you know, Tesla and a, a scandal like Michigan State and Penn State happened, you wouldn't be there anymore. But yet he's still he's still ahead of the NCAA. And then you're we're essentially operating in the wild, wild west. And so... I, I see I see conferences making, you know, maybe more across the board rules before the NCAA does, but the NCAA should be making these rules. I was on a phone call with um, Learfield this week and Tamar Sales, which are doing, you know, the marketing, the ticket sales is now being outsourced. If I had a prediction for anybody, the, the way that this goes is each school is probably going to have an NIL, you know, coordinator like Michelle. But I wouldn't be surprised if everything gets outsourced to a company like Learfield, Von Wagner Sports, or do you peak peak performance sports is like the new ticket sales. I could see them taking on more of, you know, a a handler for these deals. Because if you don't, get a hand on it and the NCAA doesn't make you know constitutional rules across the board then things like the FBI scandal are going to come out it's going to trickle down to AAU coaches doing more with the athletic department and whatnot yeah the uh the trickle down now getting into even high school is also one of the more interesting topics of NIL. Uh, I don't know too much about going, you know, 
companies trying to get into high school that are for star players that are five star recruits and whatever. Um, I don't know if you know anything about it, Michelle. Well, it, it's been a, it's been another. I mean, it's kind of we're in the wild west. I feel like the high school sports and a lot of these companies and brands' eyes is like that next frontier or whatnot. And mm-hmm. I've actually been pretty surprised with you know, but when NIL passed on July first, really, I think California was the only state that permitted. Uh, high school athletes to monetize their NIL without losing their high school eligibility. Um, and with how, you know, the NCAA rules would uh, previously, you know, prohibited them from being able to make money or they lose their NCAA eligibility. But I have been a little surprised at how many states have um, either proposed a bill or have already even changed the rules and passed a bill that allows their high school athletes to monetize their NIL. I didn't think that they would have the same um, incentive to do it as the states did at the college level and all the pressure that they felt last year around this time just because at the high school level it's really you know at college if we're looking at who's really really benefiting it's the top one percent maybe even smaller than that at high school in terms of who can benefit you know off their nile it's a really even a smaller number than that um but yeah we've seen it i mean new york now allows it i know that there is a, a couple high school basketball players that had a pretty good nil opportunity mm-hmm. Um, out there, a couple of kids in California. Um, I know LeBron James' son just had a pretty big deal uh, a couple of weeks, a week ago, maybe. But it's coming, and it's a little scary yeah. if you're just thinking about all the the boosters around the country and those who are getting into. But it's kind of coming into this perfect storm of you know with <laughs> social media and having the access directly to these celebrity people with you know DMs and whatnot along with NIL and along with even um, like college, the gambling in college. Like it's yeah. this weird blend of all these things happening at one time and opening the transfer portal as well. I mean, that's another thing to throw in there. It's like, this is just a lot to, to navigate and figure out. And I think it's hard to say exactly how it's all gonna play out, but it's all happening. So we'll, knew, we'll know soon or in a few years. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Uh, kind of right when NIL first kind of started um we had almost right away a case where Quinn Ewers for for I don't even for went for went I don't know if that's a word <laughs> but uh he declined his high school senior season enrolled early graduated early enrolled in Ohio State for spring ball and you know he's not even 18 yet <laughs> And I mean, now he's, I forget where he, he transferred, I think, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be more of the case with the top high school athletes in the country. No, yeah. So Texas's, uh, state NIL bill, I think was one of the only ones in the country, potentially the only one that, uh, explicitly stated that high school athletes could not monetize their NIL. So Quinn was from Texas and so his choice. I think he had about like almost a million dollar um, opportunity. And also I think it was a equity um, in a kombucha company. He got a couple cars, I think. I mean, he had NIL deals forever. Um, and so, I don't know, I guess everyone's like, oh, he made a million dollars per snap um, at Ohio State. But, and now he's transferred down to Texas and who knows what that deal looks like. But also um, I think on, on Mark's point about 
what is it, Hornswood Park has their deal that gives $50,000 a year to each offensive lineman to promote support yeah. like charities. Mark, as soon as that deal passed, I was like, that is so clever because if you have the best offensive lineman in the country, yeah. you're going to get yeah. a freaking good quarterback in there who wants to be protected um, and running backs and whatnot. So I'm like, pretty I think NIL, I mean, I, I see the create creativeness in it. I think if you can get people that can get creative deals, have fun with it, it can have great publicity for your your school and for these athletes. And think, you know, think about it, even if, even if it's the top percentage are making the big money, I mean, it's a chance for, you know, volleyball players at Georgia, maybe that aren't going to go play professional or in the Olympics to make some money why they're good athletes, right? I don't see anything wrong with that at all. It's just, you know, how can we bring it under an umbrella that makes more sense? And then, you know, on the tax side, these 1099s and whatnot, I don't think that they're bad. I know no one thought about this when NIL bills came in, but Power 5 schools are supposed to be having these programs where, you know, at Georgia, it's called the Georgia Way, and we're going to we're going to help you with your resume and we're going to do inter mock interviews and we're going to teach you how to budget. This is just another chance to teach our athletes how to land on their feet when they do graduate and get a job. Like, how do you, how do I do my taxes? Um, yeah, Mark, that's, that's, I mean, at San Diego state, we have our student athlete development program, um, as going pro, and I work very closely with the, the coordinator of that program to integrate some of those NIL topics into what's going on with that um, program. Because I do think it's a great opportunity to be, you know, let's gain some life skills here while you're in college, but then also that you can utilize after you graduate. I love to hear that. I'm a big believer in the holistic student athlete. And for me, I uh, just saw some bad parts working at a Power Five and you know, when you voice your opinion and and people may, it may cost a little bit more money to, to look at a student athlete basketball game. Uh, people tend to get real uncomfortable when you get on that topic. Yep. All right, any, uh, any final questions, Chris? <laughs> no, I think it's been a really, uh, really good topic so far. I just, I'm worried about this turning into basically like for the purposes of our show. Like I, I just feel like in the, unless they put some sort of cap on it or something, I feel like it's going to turn into like free agency almost. Pay for play is a big, uh, Phrase. Yeah, that's been thrown around with an idol. <laughs> kind of, of looks. It kind of one question before she goes. Um, she might be able to answer it. So if anyone keeps up with the Knight Commission, the Knight Commission's recommendation has already been that football breaks off from the NCAA. NCAA keeps, you know, basketball and all the Olympic sports. I guess my question is, do you see that? going towards that model because I think they could make rules for the sports that they actually make money off of. Whereas football, they, you know, K 
campuses make money, but once you get into the playoffs and the bowl games, the NCAA doesn't make any money. So do you see maybe that happening in the future, like NIL deals for women's and men's basketball and all Olympics, and then football, you're on your own? It's a possibility. I feel like there's so many things on the table right now with, with the NCAA and how, you know, bring up, I guess, the conference kind of restructure, a new language going to affect this August. But I'm not sure that's going to solve um, all the kind of issues that we see. But I think that, you know, breaking off football, potentially, I mean, I've seen some things about having a, you know, super conference that potentially would break off or play by different rules or whatever that would look like. I think that there's going to be very significant change in the next five to ten years in the NCAA, even if you know they just become uh, an organization that hosts championships or, or whatnot. Um, but I think it's at least I don't know enough about it to, to really make any educated guesses on which way it's going to go yet. Um, but I think there will be some significant change. Yeah, I think that would be uh, bring up kind of an issue too with. You know, they're playing for a school that's a member of an NCAA organization, so how would, you know, I guess to Mark's point that football players would have to go out to someone different. The NIL coordinator at the schools probably wouldn't be allowed to help them necessarily uh, to get, you know, school-sanctioned NIL deals and whatnot. All right. I, I think that is... Uh, all the time you have right <laughs> michelle you got to do more important stuff than be on our our little podcast here <laughs> it was great great meeting you thanks yeah, yeah. it was, thanks, it was so fun it was having fun. have a good rest of your chat thanks rusty I'll thank you soon. yep i'll talk to you later right. thank you Ciao. all right that was uh, michelle meyer nil coordinator for san diego state very interesting topic i you know, not being a someone that wants to necessarily work in collegiate athletics um, and work in pro sports, that is kind of one of my points. You know, NIL being in the the realm of all the red tape, even though NIL doesn't have any red tape right now, but uh, mm-hmm. eventually there will be a lot of restrictions, I think, anyways, um, with how everything mm-hmm. works. But yeah. <laughs> that is one of the interesting things that I I would be willing to work in collegiate athletics for. So I think um, it's not NIL if that makes sense, but doing our corporate sponsors for the Rangers. Something mm-hmm. that I uh, you know encounter nine times out of ten when I'm you know negotiating a, a sponsorship in the stadium or um, you know something at at the the business place of business is they always are like, well, can we, can we add players into it? And (laughs) can we use players in commercials? And what's funny at the professional level is you can, but you have to directly talk to their agent, right? Like I'm not a representative. I'm not a representative for them. Um, I can't make you any promises. And to some extent, I maybe have lost one or two sponsorships where I've, you know, in the last two months closed, you know, 35, 50 accounts. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see it as a, on my end, I'm with Rusty. Now that I'm in professional sports, it's, it's so much better than NCAA and all these little rules that may hurt someone's eligibility. But you guys already know, 
I think the NCAA gives the athletes such bad deals and they treat them so badly. I, w- I want to get back to be an AD so I can take care of the student athletes. <laughs> Yeah, well, Mark, at least at least uh, you're gonna have a season because uh, the MLB lockout doesn't affect minors, right? Nope, nope. They've got <laughs> me just going everywhere for minor league teams. Alrighty, well, let's get into our the the next part of the show here. Uh, gonna end the show like we've been doing. Picks eight and nine today. That's the Falcons and the Broncos. I got my Tim Tebow Broncos jersey on. Uh, the only Broncos jersey I have. I don't have a Falcons jersey. Uh, my two years in Athens, I... Uh, hey, he uh, he did win a playoff game. Uh, we don't need to talk against? about that. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. Uh, Rest in peace, DT. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so NCAA news. A couple things. <laughs> so we mentioned... I don't remember if this was Monday or last Friday, but one of the past recent shows mentioned about art Bryles, former baylor head coach getting hired with uh good old hugh jackson down at grambling state as the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator well he's he resigned <laughs> art Bryles will not be the grambling state offensive coordinator uh just four days after uh accepting the position he has resigned because he did not want to be a distraction uh for grambling state whatever that means that's know. almost Bill Belichick level there, like switching it up on the Jets when he did that way back in the day. Yeah, I think it well, was just, you know, go ahead. when that announcement came out, everyone was like, whoa, what are you doing, Grambling State? I think it was probably because it was too recent, maybe, um, of an issue. I don't, I don't know, though. Yeah, I, you know, we, we kind of touched on it earlier, and you asked my opinion as a coach, and I kind of just danced around really giving a solid answer. Besides, he can coach, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know why they're doing this, and I'm not going to take credit for it, but I was listening to, uh, I think, Clinton Yates the other day on a show, and, I, and, you know, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but it's not as if, he was hired without the whole entire administration at Grambling State signing off on it. Does that make sense? It's not like you, Coach Jackson, was like, okay, I'm going to hire him and we're going to announce it. Like the president, you know, the deans, mm-hmm. everybody had to sign off on this. And I and I think that's what gets – what automatically got a lot of traction. Because let's say you, Jackson, was the coach at Jacksonville Jaguars, right? And I think I mentioned this earlier, then maybe you're able to hire whoever, kind of like Urban Meyer and that whole <laughs> fiasco with the strength and conditioning coach. But we're talking about a university where under Art Riles, 52 rapes happen, like right. documented. I don't know that he ever will coach on a college campus. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know it's it's interesting uh, that they – that. We're bringing that up because I was on a um, listening to a CLE conference today about issues within collegiate athletics, and uh, the first topic of the conference was, you know, coaches and you know, coaching behavior, co- good, uh, ba- pretty much 
you know, talking about bad coaching behavior, um, and he ended with scandals like Penn State, Michigan State, uh, and whatnot, and Art Bryles was also in that conversation at Baylor as well. Um, but yeah, so Grambling State, Hugh Jackson needs an offense coordinator still. Um, some guys not working out. I, I, I don't know why I put this into NCAA news because technically they're not pros yet, I guess. That's why I did that. Uh, but some guys that aren't working out of the combine, uh, more guys than we already said last show. Uh, wide receiver Jameson Williams. Uh, we already knew he wasn't working out, but um, he put out about his timeline coming off his ACL tear in the national championship. He said they said five to seven months he could be ready, uh, mm-hmm. way ahead of schedule. They said. Um. So you know, five like months Cam puts Akers. him at August. You it's know. like Cam Akers coming back from Achilles. I couldn't believe he was playing the same season. Yeah, I mean five, five, six months. You're in. You're in August, September, October. So I mean, Jameson Williams could feasibly play three quarters of the season, at, at the yeah. least. I don't know. I've always been very weary when it comes to serious injuries like that. I mean, we've had cases where obviously people came back super fast and nothing happened, but... AP. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's... I mean, I don't think it's been the same injury over and over again, but then there's people like Saquon Barkley who came back super fast from his injury and he he just keeps getting injured. Again, I don't think it's the same injury over and over again, but still... I think in his case it is, or at least I don't. It, in my mind, it is. Uh, hmm. It seems like it's been his ankle at least three different times. Yeah. Um, but I mean that that wasn't his original injury. His first, you know, one was the torn ACL, um, which he came back fine from. Uh, just the ankle injuries now. But yeah, uh, so that might you know, move Jameson Williams up a little bit in terms of where teams were thinking about drafting him with his injury, knowing that you're probably only going to have him for half the season or maybe only like a quarter of the season. And now you could potentially, like I said, have him for three quarters of the season. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know, though, because I know the combine's not everything, but the way that the wide receivers performed, I think that only hurts his case because – a lot of the wide receivers have performed very well in the combine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will talk about combine before our mock draft at the end there. Um, guys not working out, though. Center, the top center, Tyler Linderbaum. He will be working out of the combine. Suffered a mud, uh, mid-foot sprain during their bowl, Iowa's bowl game. Uh, so he won't be working out at the combine. Still interviewing there. Uh, also, Clemson corner Andrew Booth Jr. not working out, strained quad while training for the combine. Uh, so he will wait till his pro day. We have USFL news. Uh, not that we're going to be covering the USFL, but I just wanted to put this out there because it's a big topic. I mean, it's a big issue right now. Uh, 
USFL was, or I guess still is, slated to start in April. I don't remember the exact date, but uh, the former USFL owners from when the original USFL was in in the 80s, they are suing Fox Sports to halt the launch of the new USFL uh, for trademark infringement and and you know using <coughs> the same logos, same team names, colors of the former teams of eight of the I think they had eighteen teams in the original league. Um, but yeah, so this is like you know, will they be able to launch? I don't know. I haven't heard any updates about it, but I just thought it was in- intriguing. <laughs> you know, kind of funny too, in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just a weird situation. Did the revival of the USFL? Like, did those people that were doing it not really do their homework? They didn't really check beforehand to make sure it was okay to do that? I think the biggest issue is is that the people that were creating the new USFL just didn't bother to check with the old USFL owners thinking that they wouldn't care because it's 40 years later and uh, but obviously their lawyers did not do a good enough job because they didn't check to see who still has the rights to the team names league logo and uh, everything essentially so again I don't even know who owns the new USFL um, you know no idea. they're not out there on social media like the rock is you know him being the XFL owner um, so and at least yeah, I'm, that, I'm excited for that when that back. <laughs> at least that one you know the XFL put out that the rock purchased the XFL you know, the US, the new USFL never said anything that they purchased the rights from the old USFL owners. So, I don't know how it's going to get solved or how they're going to launch, but they're going to have a big issue if they don't launch this year because the XFL launches next year and you're not going to be able to compete with another league launching at the same time. It's, it's going to be hard, especially when you have such a great businessman and well-liked celebrity like The Rock. Mm-hmm being the front and the face of the XFL. So, mm-hmm. um, Okay, NFL news. Again, this is, what, this is one of the biggest things I love about the Combine. This is where you get all sorts of big news. Um, so this one was a big-ish uh, in the grand scheme. It wasn't that big. But the NFL and NFLPA have agreed uh, to suspend all aspects of their uh, joint COVID-19 protocols, no more mm-hmm. testing. And it does say suspend, not cancel. Just in case there's, you know, another variant or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was very happy. Our mask mandate got nixed on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. All of us at the law school here were finally able to see everyone's faces. Uh, or not, if you choose to still mask but whatever yeah yeah our uh i think new york state happened last week but 
our schools finally took it out on Wednesday. So I th- believe everybody now has the option. Yeah. And it's not mandated anymore. Yeah, it was funny, though. My civil procedure professor, he, he, he you know, he, uh, all, all of my professors are, are still wearing a mask in school uh, for different reasons, but God love our, our civil procedure professor. He, he brought in, you know, he did this in the beginning of the semester, too. Uh, he had a COVID graph, and he, he showed us, like, where it was at the beginning of the semester and then where it is now. And he's like, I'm still going to wear my mask. And I, like, rolled my eyes about five times during his uh, his presentation about the current state of COVID. Uh, because I was like, you know, I don't care. Like, that, that you don't have to defend yourself. If you want to wear a mask, still wear a mask. I don't care. I'm not going to, but that's fine. That's my decision. That's your decision. I don't care. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, getting into more football stuff here. The Cardinals. So they have their issue, sort of issue, with Kyler Murray right now. But they did sign their two other parts of the triumvirate there. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury and GM Steve Kime, they signed to extensions. They are now signed with the Cardinals through the 2027 season. Five-year contract extensions for them. Um, Again, now they can focus all their energy on signing number one. I'm kind of surprised about the uh, extension for Kingsbury because I personally don't think he's that great of a coach. I mean, I know he's somewhat turned around the organization, but I still don't really like him as a coach. I attribute most of what happened to the GM because he's the one who put together the team. It's kind of crazy that Steve Kime is getting this contract extension, though, too, because when you think about it, Back when they were looking to hire a new head coach after uh, was Todd Bowles. Uh, yeah. Was it Arians or Bowles? It was Bowles, right? What? Or no, he was never the head coach of the Cardinals. No. Uh, was it Vance, uh, oh, Vance Joseph? Joseph. Or... No, yeah. no, he was... I he was there for one year before they hired... Was he the head coach? Okay. I can't. I I just remember him being the defensive coordinator for someone. I don't know. Whatever. For the Broncos, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But regardless, back when they were looking at hiring a new head coach, you know, Steve Kime, it wasn't even sure that he was going to be there. There was questions about whether they were going to get a new new GM and head coach. Um, But he weathered that storm, and now he gets a new contract extension. So... Um, but yeah, do you got to say Kingsbury and Kyler Murray together? Three and thirteen yeah. to five, ten and one, to eight and eight, to eleven and six. Yeah, they've been steadily climbing up, but I still, I don't know. Maybe it's because of their division that they're in, but I still don't really see the big deal about them. Yeah. Um, the Steelers added another list uh, name to their GM interview candidate list, and I'm ha- I'm very happy that he is added to this list. It is uh, ESPN analyst Lewis Riddick um, will interview with the Steelers for their GM spot again. Um, 
he's another guy that I, I would very much be perfectly fine with. I love Lewis Riddick. He's one of my favorite uh, draft analysts and analysts overall. Um, definitely. I forget that. Does he have experience in the front office? Yes. He was, he was with the Eagles um, in, with, under Andy Reid. Um, and also, uh, I forget, he was with one other place too, I think. But yeah, uh, for a couple years there under Andy Reid, he was the director of uh, player personnel for the Eagles. Um, but yeah, love Lewis Riddick. Would be perfectly happy with him getting the job. But like I said, internal candidate, my, my number one still Omar Khan. Would love Lewis Riddick. I'm blanking on all the other names that are on the list because they have like 15 guys at this point that are on the <laughs> list. So, uh, yeah, normally the list grow or gets shorter, but they just keep adding to it and not taking any names off. So, well, again, like I said on Monday, like they can. There's no other GM openings. They can interview however mm-hmm. many people they want, not having to worry about someone else hiring a person that's on their list. So. Yeah. Uh, the Dolphins GM, Chris Greer, uh, he said, this was an a interesting comment at the Combine, at his presser, uh, he said they actually reached out to the Saints uh, to gauge whether Sean Payton was available uh, in a trade. Um, and, of course, the Saints blocked all those... Uh, movements so but the dolphins did ask they asked the question at least um we already know what's happening he's gonna sit the year out and then when mccarthy gets fired at the end of the year he's coming out and going to the cowboys no no leave 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 mike at at, in dallas that's fine (laughs) (laughs) uh the packers they are apparently preparing a short-term deal for Aaron Rodgers if he decides to stay in Green Bay. Not sure whether that's going to happen. I think I heard that he was going to announce his decision um, within like the next week because kind of has to uh, in order to allow the Packers to change their plans if they need to uh, ahead of free agency in two weeks. So, yeah, I uh, I forget where. I- or who I saw say, but there was an ESPN article I read that said that he is expected to stay in Green Bay at this point. Yeah, I I still like torturing all my my Packers fans here, um, saying that he's going to leave. Uh, but it does seem like he is. It is trending toward uh, him staying um, in Green Bay. Again, you never know uh, what when things can just change real quick and do a do a 180 in the NFL go south very quickly yeah. but and i guarantee you if he stays then Devontae adams is going to be in green bay next year too yeah cuz i don't think that rodgers would agree to stay unless the packers tell him that they're like keeping adams whether that be through the franchise tag or a an extension or something yeah, and it it uh, the the short term deal they're working on, uh, or being prepared for him would make him the highest paid player in the NFL. So, 
which kind of doesn't make sense. If you want to win a Super Bowl, you can't be the highest paid player. Just that's, that's not how the salary cap works, Aaron. Uh, take it, take it from Brady. Exactly. Exactly. And even I mean Patrick Mahomes too. He took a team friendly deal. Uh, Fifty million a year. Yeah, but it's ten years. Still, it's how they fifty stru- million a year. Still, it's how they structured it. It's all in the structure. Um. Okay. This next thing. This is exactly why I didn't want to re-sign Ian Thomas. Now I didn't know that this was going to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> I still hate the Ian, Th- Ian Thomas re-signing. Panthers tight end Ian Thomas. He's facing five misdemeanor charges uh, for attempting to escape police on a dirt bike in July. Uh, apparently, he, <laughs> I think I, I'm forgetting the article right now. But I think what happened was like he stole something and like got on his dirt bike and was trying to evade the cops and eventually and got caught. This was last. Last summer in July or yeah. last like July twenty twenty one. July twenty twenty one. Okay. I mean, you know, he See, catches I don't understand why I don't understand why it literally took until like the week after he got that deal for that to come out. <laughs> yeah. It was almost as if they were yeah. waiting for him to get paid to then turn him in about that. Because of course it did. Because that's how things work you know so you know, again it's stupid contract you can find a freaking blocking tight end in the in the uh draft this year go go draft you you, you leave that man alone he was trying to steal someone's catches he never gets go draft <laughs> go draft freaking connor hayward cam hayward's brother from michigan state go draft him in the sixth round he can play fullback and he can play tight end as a blocker there you go. It's not that hard. Uh, speaking of tight ends, Cowboys tight end Blake Jarwin, uh, he had surgery last month for a hip injury. Uh, the surgery was considered uncommon for an active NFL player. Uh, so it's he's not expected to be ready for the start of this season. Uh Brings into question, what are they going to do with Dalton Schultz, who is scheduled to be a free agent? Will they franchise tag him or not? Uh, we're going to have a – we have like three – actually, there's four Cowboys things like in a row here, so we're going to be on Dallas for a little bit. Uh, but starting off with Blake Darwin and the Dalton Schultz situation, that's our first thing. I don't know. I, I think yeah, but – I mean – with the news about another Cowboys pass catcher that we'll get to in a couple minutes, I mean, they're going to be freeing up space. I don't know if this has any correlation to that. Uh, probably not. But, I mean, yeah, they're going to be freeing up space. I don't know how much they have, but I definitely – like, I oh. think it's a lot more likely now that they resign him than don't. They don't have a lot. I don't know the exact numbers. I know it's not a lot, a lot. Um, But, yeah, I think with this news, I think you almost have to franchise tag Dalton Schultz or at least sign him to an extension. 
Um, or at worst, I guess, signed into extension. Uh, because, you know, you can't go into the season with no Schultz and no Jarwin. I mean, I don't even know who's after that. Uh, Rico Gethers? <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> Uh, well, if he still you said that you said that he wouldn't be ready for the season, though. But how far into the season did it say? Did it, did it say at all? No. 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 Because if it was like a significant injury where he'd miss most, if not all, of the season, then yeah, obviously. But if it's only like the first quarter, then I think they could get through without Schultz. But still, I still think it's likely that they do something with him. Yeah, I'd be interested to learn more about what the injury is because when you say tight end and hip injury, you know who I think about? Dennis Pitta. Mm-hmm. Two hip injuries, two seasons in a row, had to retire because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hopefully that's not the case for Blake Jarwin, but again, the... the notification that I got surgery uncommon for an active NFL player so um quarterback Dak Prescott he also had surgery on his left shoulder that one's not anything major uh they said he'll be good to go for uh you know off season OTAs and whatnot so he's he'll be good to go Coming off right shoulder surgery from last year, now he had a little little surgery on his left shoulder too. So. Well, left for a right-handed quarterback isn't that big of a deal anyway. So it is when you when you look at quarterback mechanics, you gotta swipe through and then, yeah. you know come over top. But. Uh, yeah, the biggest news of the day, though, just today, Cowboys likely to release wide receiver Amari Cooper uh, unless they can wow. trade him. Unless they can trade him. They are looking into trading him somewhere. Uh, he's due $20 million fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the new league year, which is March 20th. Uh, mm-hmm. If they release him... They'll get $16 million in cash space, but he'll also count $6 million in dead money, so a $10 million um, sum. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, they have till the fifth league year, which means they have essentially four and a half days of free agency to see where the top free agents go. And I think they, they're better off holding on to him and trading him to a desperate team that missed out on one of the top receivers. And it'll be even worse if Devontae Adams gets tagged and then he's the number one available. Well, then he's off the board already. So then, yeah, it creates an even bigger market for somebody like Cooper. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be crazy if um, if Cooper is added to the free agent pool of wide receivers. You know, obviously we think Adams is not going to be available. But when you look at all the other receivers that are going to be available, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, DJ Chark, you know, those are just – Those are yeah, – Chris Godwin, those are, 
you know, four that come to mind uh, just off the top of my head. But it's going to be. I, I think Cooper is maybe two or three in that group right there, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, I mean, he's coming off. Uh, he's still young. He's still uh, 28, I believe, uh, in his prime, 4,000-yard seasons on his in his career. So, uh, I just – I you, would you guys not pay him that money? Not 20 well, The Cowboys are strapped for cash, so yeah. I don't know. And the, the next point goes into the Cooper situation. Uh, the Cowboys are closing in on a, on a new deal for wide receiver Michael Gallup as well. Um, they're hoping that they can use the money saved from Cooper's release or trade and sign Gallup and Cedric Wilson combined to the same amount of money, essentially. Get two for one deal. I, I just, I mean, I I get the football uh, scheme to it. Does that make sense? Like, okay, salary, you know, money-wise, we could sign these guys. But if I'm the Dallas Cowboys and I'm looking at the drought, that we've had don't you want to have the most talent well i think also america's team that is worth the most amount of money well i think also you gotta you gotta think about the draft i mean this is a really good receiver draft depth wise Mm -hmm. uh so you can get you know another your, your you can add your fourth wide receiver um and pay gallup and Wilson combined the amount of money you're going to pay Cooper and then draft your fourth and, and, and fifth wide receivers in the draft. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm yeah. not saying I dis, I'm not disagreeing if that makes sense. I'm just, I'm just trying, you know, times have changed, you know, I guess back in the day they would have just thrown out money to who they thought was a, mm-hmm. was a name or, or the best talent maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe Jerry Jones is finally getting smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was big when I mean when they traded that first round pick to the Raiders for him. I mean that that was that was massive. But mm-hmm. uh, you know he worked I mean, out. Do you think he's? I guess I guess the better question is: Has he declined? Is he not worth twenty million? No, I mean his his production declined this past season because of lack of targets, really. Yeah. yeah, I think that was his biggest problem is that there's too many weapons on Dallas's offense. Well, then, I mean, I agree that don't pay him 20, 20 mil. I mean, I have to be honest, I didn't watch very many Cowboys games this year or keep up with their stats. Well, trust me, Mark. I had him on my Dynasty fantasy team. He was sitting on my bench for a good amount of weeks because. Oh, then he I'm wasn't all producing. about that. Don't pay him 20 mil, then. Uh,. I think he could still be a legitimate number one, though, and be worth the twenty million for another team. Well, you yeah, know, he can if he wants. You know, he can just stay in division. That's okay. You know, can, <laughs> I know, I know. He can be. I know somebody can, on the on this show that would take him on his team. He can. Uh, I think we both take him on our teams. He can. <laughs> he can be the modern To. You know, playing for the Cowboys and the Eagles. Except To went the other way. He went from the Eagles to <laughs> yeah. the Cowboys. Uh, but yeah, I'd be fine with number nineteen in green. Yeah, so would I. In this green. <laughs> I mean, could you get Russell Wilson and him on the Eagles? Is that, no. is that possible? No, we have our quarterback number two. We don't need number three. Number two is good enough. Uh, okay. 
enough Cowboys talk. Niners, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, he also had shoulder surgery or will have shoulder surgery soon. Uh, not likely to influence uh, his trade situation at all. Um, so, still, there's still a question out there on whether the Niners are going to trade him or not. Uh, I think what, at this point they are, but what it's value, what his market is. Yeah, what value can you get? Because I heard from some people that it's not going to be a high pick. I heard from some people that it's going to be a day three pick that they're going to be able to get for him. So, And, well, does he have any say in this or no? No. Like he has, he doesn't have a no trade or anything, right? No, not that I know of. I didn't think so. And I was really kind of mad because uh, the bold moves article that I read on ESPN today said about the Steelers, and uh, their bold move would be to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I'd be like, nope, nope, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what the Jets knew? Bold move was Chris. What? Draft a new starting quarterback. <laughs> draft or trade for a new starting quarterback. Yeah, that was. I don't know why they would draft one. Trading for one because there's maybe, precedent. But... There's precedent out there with Kyler Murray. They draft Josh Rosen top ten the year before. They draft Kyler Murray number one the next year. Yeah, but Zach Wilson was the number two overall pick. Whereas in that year with Rosen, he was like the fifth quarterback off the board. But so I think it's 10. a little bit different. Still a top ten. Rosen was ten. And they did put a lot of stats into that Jets part of that article, uh, if you want to look at it. Fifty-five point six percent completion. Nine was it nine to thirteen touchdown interception ratio. Yeah, but it was a lot better in the second <laughs> half when you actually break it down. Three and ten record. <laughs> he missed four, ga- yeah, four games, so it would have been better. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, I didn't, I didn't say I was agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just saying what they, t- what they said. Because <laughs> uh, I like Zach. I'm still a Wilson believer. I like it, uh, but your Jets, anyways. They are. Uh, they're going to exercise the fifth-year option for defensive lineman Quinnen Williams coming up. Uh, yeah, I I did like that. Um, I mean, he hasn't really been worth the number three overall pick to this point. So I'm glad that they had that opportunity to exercise him because I do think he's been a good player, just not third overall pick status. Um, so this kind of gives them that extra year to evaluate and really see if he's going to be worth a, a new deal. Um, and I mean, with hopefully the defense back to full health and potential additions through the draft and free agency, I think that Williams might have a chance at having a very good year this year. Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, they can get anyone to help him beside him. The Bills today, they have granted wide receiver Cole Beasley permission to seek a trade. Now, 
GM Brandon Bre Brandon Bean said the door is not totally closed for Beasley to return. They still like him, uh, but they are willing to let him go via trade if someone uh, gives up enough value, which I think would be a fifth-round pick would be the max for, for Cole Beasley at this point. Well, as a Cole Beasley fantasy owner, yeah, he needs to get out of Buffalo because <laughs> – Throughout the season, he just kept losing targets every week. I mean, I know Sanders isn't there anymore, right? It was only a one-year deal for him? Yeah, he's a free agent. So he doesn't really have to worry about that anymore. But I still think that there's going to be another receiver added to that room at some point, whether that be through free agency or the draft. Um, and some of those other guys that are on the team, too, took targets away from Beasley, so... I mean, unless Beasley's okay with being the third, maybe even fourth option, then I don't see why he wouldn't go for the trade. Yeah, I mean, he had his games. He had, he had some games where he just blew up for the Bills. Um, but, yeah, maybe maybe a change of scenery would, would do Cole good. You know, round out his career somewhere nice. Having a chance to win a ring. Um, but Josh Allen does like him. Uh, it's uh -huh. just the fact that Gabriel Davis is now coming into his own as the number two. So uh, They also have Isaiah McKenzie, too, who had some uh -huh. really good games last year. Uh, the Giants. This was just like, holy crap earlier this week giants could be in the trade market potentially trading away the franchise icon saquon barkley and also corner james bradbury who was in the last year of his deal as well saquon. i mean the bradbury one i'm a little bit more surprised about the saquon thing i i was saying it last year too in the offseason because Barkley is such a injury-prone player. I just uh, – I think that he's just losing value more and more every year because of his injury-prone and uh, just the fact that he hasn't really been able to stay on the field. So get as much value as you can with him now before he loses all value and has to retire because he can't come back from an injury. So far, I've been right on Saquon Barkley. I told you. I said when he went to the Giants, he was going to be our generation's Barry Sanders. Has he not been to this point? I mean, he hasn't been as good as Barry was. But... I was going to say, he hasn't been as good statistically, but... I, but he ha well, his first two years, he was very good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's why I had drafted him in our Keepers League when we started that. And then I moved on from him this past year. What do you mean by this year, our generation is Barry Sanders? Because he was so highly touted going to the Giants, but the Giants didn't have an offensive line to be able to block for him. And the Giants as an overall team have been just crap for the last 10 years. Well, I mean, I guess... I guess in the regard that Barry Sanders' teams were not very good, but he, he was on the field. 
Right. But when it, when when Barkley got drafted, I was like, bro, he's going to a crappy yeah. team, just like Barry was and on the gonna, Lions. They're going to rely on. He's going to be really good. He's going to be really good for like six, seven years, and then he's going to retire because either he's getting injured, or he's done playing for the Giants and they won't trade him. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the the James Bradbury thing is interesting as well. Like I said, final year of his deal. Uh, but he was very good for them last year, so I don't I don't know why. Um, if they don't re-sign him or whatnot. Uh, it'll be interesting too if they do trade him because didn't they already release Booker last week oh, or something? We're getting to that, Chris. We're getting to that. That's oh, did we end. not talk about that? That's at the end. The end of the news segment. Uh, another corner out there. Patriots corner uh, J.C. Jackson. Not expected to be franchise tagged. He's expected to hit the open market, and he's going to be easily the number one corner available out there. Going to be ba- paid big money. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at the Niners, dude. The Niners need corner help. Uh... So do the Bucks, but the Bucks don't have any money. The Niners have money, and I mean they could use a big time corner like J.C. Jackson. But I think I'd have to look at what scheme they play. What scheme do the Jets play? Zone or man? I think they're zone. Okay, then he'd be a fit in San Francisco because I mean, D'Amico Ryan's learned from Robert Sala, so yeah. Well. The Jets are another destination that I've heard him link to a lot because the Jets are desperate for a veteran corner. Um, and they do have a lot of money to spend. Um, and I don't know if it's ever really a factor for players. I mean, I'm sure it is for some, but it is in division with his former team. Yeah. So, again, I don't know if that has any sort of fuel to the fire, but oh, wait, actually, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in green. I think I had that switched. I think he's a better man corner. Because I think on that Bold Moves article, I think the Ravens one was to sign J.C. Jackson because he's a better man corner than he is zone. So maybe I had that wrong. But still, and the Niners need corner help regardless. <laughs> uh, the Chiefs, they are working on an extension currently for wide receiver Tyree Kill. Apparently, the structure uh, is going to be more normal than his last contract. So, uh, Hill staying in Kansas City for the foreseeable future coming up. And the Commanders, just uh, today, Rappaport was, you know, had his news, another news segment on the Combine show. But uh, apparently, the Washington Commanders, they made a very strong offer to the Seattle Seahawks for quarterback Russell Wilson. Obviously, Seahawks have stayed in their denial that they are not trading Russell Wilson. Um, but apparently the commanders have been calling everywhere and are are going to be the most aggressive player in the quarterback market this offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like Chris tried to say but i stopped them uh, the giants were 
really the first team to start cutting uh, big, bigger name veteran players. Uh, they cut, they released tight end Kyle Rudolph and running back Devontae Booker. Um, they save five million for Rudolph and two point one two five million for Booker, but they also incur three point four million in dead money as well with those two moves. So, oh, yeah. I now I remember it came out the night after the show after we ended. Yeah, because of course it did because news always does. But <laughs> I was laughing when I saw that come across the screen because. When we were doing the draft, you were fighting me about the Giants drafting a tight end because they had Rudolph and Ingram. And here we go. They could have used the tight end now in our draft. And Kyle is not retiring, he said. He said he still wants to play. He's only 30, 31. Or no, he's 32. He's 32. Still not that old, so. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't think he was terrible because he played a lot this year because Evan Ingram always gets hurt like he does. Um, and one last thing, going back to NCAA, the NCAA uh, has proposed a, a football rule change that includes looking at uh, possible reviews of second-half targeting calls um, in order to avoid the carryover penalty for targeting in the second half of games. Uh so I don't know what the criteria would be. Oh. So it says in the article, the conference, the conferences would be able to appeal to the NCAA the week after the game if they think a targeting call in the second half was erroneous and they could try to get that player's suspension for the first half of the next game taken off. Uh, so they'd be able to play the whole game. Um, so that's what that one is. They're also looking at uh, players faking injuries, which I don't like that they're looking into that because I don't think there's anywhere to, any way to prove that. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> that's a tough one. Tough one. I mean, there really isn't, but there's also been like, Maybe you can't really prove it during the game, but I can't remember who the player was, but I specifically remember, I think it was a Giants or Bears game that I was watching where the player literally faked an injury late in the game and, like, the last few minutes of the game to stop the clock and everything. And then, like, when he got on the sidelines, he was joking around and, like, he was completely fine. Like, he... And then he admitted later that he was he faked the injury because of that, because of the time and all that. So I don't know if you could really do anything during the game, but maybe players could get penalized for it post-game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like they're already penalizing their own team because it's set out of play. Uh, I know this mentioned, you know, possibly making the player sit out more time. Uh, if they're injured or injured in air quotes, um, you know, I, I know that's been talked about at the NFL level as well about making a player who gets injured, miss a whole series. Um, but then you would have, I think you would have to, 
cater that and and have exceptions to certain positions really only quarterback uh, would be the only position that you'd have to put the exception on because you know that's not fair to leave your quarterback out for a whole drive if he gets hurt you know so and well quarterbacks i feel like don't fake the injuries anyway it's normally like a receiver or something like that yeah unless you're unless you complain like aaron Rodgers. Uh, and then they're also looking at uh, proposing a rule that the NFL already has changed. They changed this last year, I believe, uh, where you can only block below the offensive line and running backs can only block below the waist inside the tackle box. Um, like I said, I know the yeah. NFL implemented that last year. Um, so, I mean, I, I maybe it's because I really never paid attention to that, but I don't know how much of a – difference that actually made in the nfl i saw it called like twice all season i think yeah that's what i'm saying i don't know if it's really that big of an impact for the uh competitive nature of the game yeah i mean blocking below the waist gets called all the time you know outside Mm. it's just those ones that are tough to when it's like on the line of the tackle box (laughs) Or the more interesting thing is, is calling it when you have tight ends because then it doesn't become the tight end. A tackle box comes the tight end box is included within the tackles. So, anyways, uh, that's all the news had today. Combine last night again. I was at a happy hour. I'm gonna go to another happy hour tonight for a different organization, but. Uh, so I didn't get to watch a lot of the on-field performances for the quarterbacks. Um, I did hear Desmond Ritter had a nice night. Uh, yep. Really the only guy that I heard about in terms of on-field performance. I did get to watch the first group of wide receivers do their 40s and some of their on-field stuff. Uh, some guys that stood out to me, Traylon Burks looked the part of the number one wide receiver in the in the draft. He did. Um, I was also, this is kind of Penn State bias, but I was impressed by Jahan Dotson. He had a really nice night, I thought. Um, Especially, I was kind of disappointed with his 40. I'm not going to lie. There were some fast 40s, y'all. Oh, my God. Well, the thing was. Including a record-setting one, I believe. No, because yeah. how how did they how was it that much of a difference from their unofficial time to the official time? Taquan Thornton from Baylor originally ran an unofficial four two one forty, which would have broken John Ross's record of four two two, I believe was this was uh-huh. his time. And then they come out with the official times and it's seven uh yeah, seven hundredths of a second slower. Four two eight was his official time. Yeah, how did they mess it up that he bad? Was, he was flying, though, I will say that. And, and was, Malik Willis had a great off the field. If you guys haven't seen it, you better go check it out. Yeah, helping the homeless person out. Uh, the same issue in terms of unofficial to official times happened to Chris Olave, go too. Chris Olave ran an unofficial 4-3-2, came back official, same 700th of a second difference, 4-3-9. 
uh, official 40. So, obviously still fast, but it's just crazy how the official times were so much slower than the unofficial ones for those two guys specifically. Uh, Yeah, something doesn't seem right there. But yeah, Jahan Dotson, 4-4-3-40, was happy with that number. I was impressed by Bo Melton's 40. 4-3-4 for the Rutgers Mm. wide receiver. I did not know that he had that type of speed. Um, But yeah, both Ohio State receivers ran sub-4-4s. 4-3-8 for Garrett Wilson, 4-3-9 for Chris Olave. Um, other wide receivers let's see again I didn't get to see the second group of wide receivers so the second half of the alphabet Um, but I did look at some of the numbers Uh, Alec Pierce had a nice night 40 and a half inch vert for Pierce he also put up a ten foot nine broad jump. Uh, and his forty was fast too, I believe. He's he's pretty four four one for the Cincinnati wide receiver, so he had a really nice night. Calvin Austin as well. Uh, his broad jump was the second longest of the wide receivers, eleven foot three. That's at uh <laughs> That's at 5'8". He jumped 11 foot 3. <laughs> that was the longest jump in combine history from a player 5'8 uh, or shorter. Or I think 5'9 or shorter, something like that. Um, so, I mean, it's getting close to double his height, <laughs> being able to jump <laughs> out for that. Uh, but, yeah, otherwise... Just looking at the testing numbers, I don't know anything about this guy, but Isaiah Weston from uh, Northern Iowa, 11-3 broad. He also had a 40-inch vert. I don't think his... Uh, he also... There was only three guys that did the bench for the receivers, but he put up 20 reps for a receiver, which is very good, uh, if you don't know. And then even his 40, I mean, 4-4-2-40, very good for UNI receiver Isaiah Weston. So maybe a late-round guy to look at there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tight ends also were working out. I got to see more of the tight ends than I did the receivers. Uh, Isaiah Likely, I know you've been talking about him, Chris. He had a nice night. Had a lot of good catches. Um, if I get back to my thing here. That's the defense. Yeah. Isaiah Likely, though, had a nice night for Coastal Carolina. Uh, Trey McBride looked just like Traylon Burks did. Looked like number one wide receiver. Trey McBride most definitely looked like the number one tight end. Very smooth in his routes. Cat caught everything. Soft hands. Uh, nice night for him. And Daniel Jeremiah's number one tight end, Greg Dulcich, also had a good night. Again, I thought he... Uh, Dulcich has to work on his blocking, uh, but otherwise, uh wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, 
And then a guy that I have we haven't talked about much, but Jelani Woods from Virginia had an outstanding night uh, at the combine. Six seven two fifty nine. Jelani wow. Woods. It's uh, a big boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, nine and a quarter inch hands, thirty four and an eighth inch arms. Uh, it's almost two inches uh, longer arm length than uh, Isaiah Likely has. But yeah, four six one forty was the second fastest tight end. Um, I mean, Chig Conquo from Maryland blew every tight end away. Four five two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, twenty four on the bench for Jelani Woods as well. He didn't do any other testing. Uh, but yeah, he had a a really good night there. Bench wise, I was disappointed. Uh, my boy Jake Ferguson. The lowest amount of reps <laughs> for the tight ends. He only put up 15 uh, at 225, 225 pound on the bench. Uh, your boy Jeremy Rucker put up 19. Solid. But yeah, Isaiah likely 36 inch vert. I thought you were about to say 36 on the bench. I was like, what? Nah. Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State actually had the longest broad jump for the tight ends. 10 foot 5. Dulcich right behind him at 10 foot 2. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, Likely likely, and uh, McBride were my two stars for the tight ends, anyways, at the combine. Connor. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the Jets have the opportunity and do draft McBride with their second round pick, which I think is 38th overall, 36, something like that. So, yeah, uh, he could be there. Yeah, and then talking about the quarterbacks, we got the answer that everyone wanted on Kenny Pickett early yesterday morning when they were uh, weighing in and, and getting measured. It was not a good result for Kenny Pickett. Uh, came back eight and a half inch hands. So this is what everyone's doing right now. This is what everyone's doing. Uh, you know, eight and a half inches, you know, put it across the paper. And I don't I can't even really do it right because it's like difficult to, to hold the paper up. But I know I have at least eight and a half inch hands, you know. So my hands are just as big, if not maybe a tad bigger than Kenny Pickett's, um, which is kind of disappointing. But <laughs> yeah, considering he's probably what like a, almost a foot taller than you. Uh, yeah, he'd be, he'd be. Eight inches taller. He's six three. And a, he's six three and a quarter. Yeah. Uh, but Desmond Ritter, fastest forty there, uh, four five two. Um, yeah. 
I don't know if you saw the video. Um, but I think Mahomes, I don't know if he posted it, but I know he commented on it. But somebody made a video of, like, Ritter, Mahomes, I think Russell Wilson, Marcus Mariota, and I think there was one other quarterback. I can't remember who. But they kind of had all of them, like, layered on top of each other with their 40s, and Ritter blew everybody else out of the water. Yeah. But it it was funny, though, because the two slowest quarterbacks in that group were the two best, Mahomes and Russell Wilson. So, to me, that video just showed me that the quarterback speed doesn't really mean a lot. Now put Lamar Jackson on. <laughs> well, yeah. What did he run in the 40? I don't know. 4-4. Four, four. I, four, four, I know that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ritter really was the uh, physical star for the quarterbacks in terms of testing numbers. 36-inch vert led all quarterbacks. 10-foot-7 broad led all quarterbacks. He got beat by uh, E.J. Perry, the quarterback from Brown, in the uh, three-cone and the 20-yard shuttle. But I don't think those two tests matter for quarterbacks. So uh, I guess we do have – we should have some numbers. Oh, we don't have running back numbers for the 40 yet. We do have bench numbers for the running backs, though, going on right now. Um, Hassan Haskins. 27 bench. Massive. Massive bench there. Uh, Lowest number for running back bench was Greg Bell out of San Diego State, 17. Uh, And then you look at offensive line. Zion Johnson, Boston College, 32 on the bench. Lowest was very, very sad. Uh... (laughs) For an offensive lineman, anyways. Not for me. Uh, but Obina, easy. Offensive tackle from TCU, only 18 as an offensive lineman. Uh, also, one of the bigger names, the second lowest number on the bench for offensive lineman, Kenyon Green, guard Texas A&M. He only had 20 on the bench. Not good. Not good. Yeah, not good for the offensive lineman, especially. And... Him of all of them, too, because he's one of the bigger names, I think, out there. Yeah, I want to see what his... Yeah, and he doesn't... He's not a guy with short arms, either, 34 and 8. So, uh, that's perfectly fine arm length for him. But uh, our boy Jamari Salyer, though, Mark, 31 on the bench, tied for second. All right. Uh... And then we love to see offensive line 40 numbers, right? So uh, current 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 leader is 489. Kellen Deesh, tackle from Arizona State. Uh, Trevor Penning, though, 491, Northern Iowa tackle. Slowest, which is always great to look at for offensive line. Bill Dunkel, 544. <laughs> I mean, the, the the sad part is, is I don't think I could beat him. I really don't understand why the offensive linemen even have to run the forty because they never hey, even have to run forty. That's yards. not that's not true. That's not true. They gotta run. 
down the field sometimes. Especially <laughs> they get in trouble because they were downfield too early. Especially when you're the Dallas Cowboys and you have to spike the ball, you got to run. <laughs> well, especially because you know if you can find, I mean, this is more a conditioning thing than a speed thing, but uh, you know. You got to put offensive linemen on the kick the kick return team too, and the punt team. So those guys got to run. So just saying. Oh, but yeah, Dunkel not even that big either, to run the slowest time of offensive line, six five three twenty eight. So you know, when you look at, you want to know what? Uh, did he run? Where's he at? Oh, come on. Tell me he ran, please. Oh, I don't know if offensive line 40s are still going on right now. I don't have the uh, the stream up for the combine. God dang. I wanted to see what Daniel Fa'alele was going to run. Yeah. At 6'8", 383. I was very intrigued. Uh... Just like I'm intrigued to watch Jordan Davis run tomorrow night. Yes. Yes. Um, but, anyways, offensive line. Or no, I already went through the bench. Vert, Sean Ryan from UCLA, 33.5-inch vertical. Leads the way right now for the linemen. Broad jump, Cole Strange from Chattanooga, 10-foot broad jump. So, yeah. The the running backs haven't gone through the broad or the vert yet. Uh, they just done the bench. I mean, they're on they're on after the lineman, the offensive lineman. So probably not going to get on until maybe eight or nine Eastern. Probably, I would say. But uh, anyways, that's the combine right now. Uh, I don't think I had any other people to talk about in terms of that. Yeah. I didn't think there was any surprises so far. No, not really. Except for the the one guy that technically broke the record with the 40. And then he didn't. <laughs> but I think I'm much more interested in the defensive uh combine this year than I am the offensive. Yeah. I mean, defense is the strong suit of the draft, so. Uh, okay. <coughs> Mock draft. Falcons. Broncos. Wow. Both, that's, both teams uh, actually have multiple picks this that's week. That's not number three. It's number eight. That's... Now it's good. Number eight, though. Falcons have number eight overall. Second round, they got number 43. Their other second round pick, number 58. That's the Julio Jones pick from the Titans. Uh, and then third round, number 74. The Broncos, plethora of picks here. Number nine overall, number 40 in the second round. Number 64 from the Rams. Uh, Von Miller trade. 75 in the third. And 96 in the third also from the Rams and the Von Miller trade. Which is going to be a great trade for the Broncos. I, they got they got a second and third round pick for the Rams to have him for one season, ha, not even half a hey. season, half a season. Well, I don't think the Rams care because they just won the Super Bowl. So, well, like it he says, did his job. 
that was that was on the bold offseason moves too was let von miller walk and uh it, it made sense what they said at the end of that they're like you know the rams only won they won their last three playoff games they won by three points each game and uh they were like you know if von isn't on the rams do they actually win the super bowl probably not when you look at it look at what his stats yeah. were uh he had six tackles for loss in the three in the four playoff games um and 12 tackles for loss in the regular season games he played with the rams so okay let's get to i don't think i had this uh i don't think i had the uh, mock draft simulator prepped so i gotta prep it real quick if my internet wants to work that's the real key marquette wi-fi you never know exit page thank you now refresh no internet that's what we like to see (laughs) okay here we go here we go we got it okay stop oh and you're back oh i froze up that was cool yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because I switched the Wi-Fi. That was I switched to the secure Wi-Fi instead of the open. That's well, what we I, lost Mark in the process. Nah, he was already lost. He's he probably he probably made it home. That's why he he's off. Uh, okay, three rounds. Okay, now I can share. Okay, here we go. So, we got Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Derek Stingley to the Texans. Your Jets take Kyle Hamilton at four. Ikem Ekwanu to the Giants. Charles Cross to the Panthers. Kayvon Thibodeau to the Giants at seven. Isn't that how we had the draft go to? Or, well, they got Charles Cross instead of Icky, but yeah. that was that was our draft, though, that we did, too. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, because... <laughs> because Aiden Hutchinson actually went to the Lions this time instead of the last two times we did it where they took Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> uh, but interestingly, Derek Stingley. Yeah. You know what, though? I actually put in a future a futures bet the other day for the number one draft pick. And I, I put $10 on... Iki Ekwanu to go number one because it. I mean, it was good value at plus six hundred. Um, you know, ten to win sixty dollars. I thought was a decent shot. You know, that's not bad. Um, so. now we got the Falcons pick here at number eight, mm. and I think that there's two players here to debate between. One being that top player on the board right there, Sauce Gardner, because. We all know how bad the Falcons defense has been. Um, or go on the other side of the ball because there's so many questions regarding that receiver room and go with that top receiver available. Yeah. Uh, it's it's weird, though, you know, when you look at the Falcons' needs at, in terms of what the draft network has as their needs anyways. 
They don't have corner very high at all. Corner's all the way to the right. Oh, I know, but Gardner is just, I think, a very, very solid option. Right. I mean, I know Edge is another big need of theirs, but I feel like they could come back around and get Edge with their next pick because Edge is a very deep, uh, deep uh, position in this class, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I, I think, you know, best player available is by far Sauce Gardner. Unless you want to go with Traylon Burks, uh, which, like, they have is is higher up on the need. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but like I said, those are my two options there. For me, it would be Gardner or Burks. Yeah, I mean, in terms of me being a GM, I do think the teams that consistently win do go best player available unless you're talking about a top five pick or a quarterback uh, which Falcons are not going to do this year um, like they should have done last year <laughs> but uh, yeah I think Sauce Gardner is has to be the pick yeah I like it so the Broncos. Now this is where the draft gets interesting at nine. As I mean, it, it gets interesting a lot earlier than that, but uh, for us, anyways, mm. number one need quarterback, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I've been talking to people about the draft, and I'm like, you know, really, I'm talking about my Steelers and and needing a quarterback, mm. wanting to trade up with the Jets at ten to go get Kenny Pickett. <laughs> But that's if he's there at 10. Because, you know, the Broncos are the first team in the draft that you know needs a quarterback, for sure. Uh, So, do we go quarterback, and if so, who? Um, I mean, there's a lot of factors you have to think about, too, when you're, like, as the Broncos... Because they do play at mile high for half the season. So there is that different atmosphere there than there is at other stadiums around the league. Mm-hmm. So you got, like, there's always that factor. And so I feel like you definitely need a mobile quarterback there for Denver. I don't necessarily think he's the best quarterback available, but I feel like. Malik Willis definitely fits Denver the best. I agree. I, I I think, you know, when I think about just in my head, who can I see in a Broncos uniform? Malik Willis, most definitely. Granted, I still, mm-hmm. I still think, even though we know whenever a team is linked to a certain player, he's not going to get drafted by that player like the Jets – uh, or no, like the Vikings with Elijah Vera Tucker last year. <laughs> yeah, every single mock draft had him going to the Vikings. He still went in that spot, but it was to the Jets because the Jets traded up to get him. Uh, but you know that's that's Malik Willis with the Commanders this year. It's like there's a lot of people that have Malik Willis going to the Commanders at eleven. Uh, but that's again if he 
survives the Broncos here at number nine, which I just I can unless also... the Broncos go edge because that's another one of their big needs. Yeah, I mean, I could also I... see Matt Corral in a Broncos uniform. Yeah, uh, but like I said, to me, Broncos need a mobile quarterback. Matt Corral is. Did you not see him I'm... running the ball at Ole Miss? Yeah, I know, but I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not normally one for mobile quarterbacks, but Malik Willis is the most mobile, I think, in this class, and I would disagree. That, with that. I just, I think he fits Denver the best. It's actually kind of crazy when you look at the top five quarterbacks of this draft class. Four out of the five are mobile quarterbacks. Hmm. Uh. Pickett being the only one that's not. Kenny Pickett is a prototypical pocket passer, uh, which is which is why he fits Denver. I mean, not Denver, uh, Pittsburgh so well. Well, apparently Pittsburgh wants a more mobile quarterback, but I still think Kenny Pickett is mobile enough. As you saw, the fake slide <laughs> in the bowl game. <laughs> uh, he can definitely scoot if he needs to, but uh, if anyone is a prototypical pocket passer, it's Carson Strong. Yeah, that's he it. he cannot move. He doesn't move well. Um, but yeah, let's go Malik Willis. Uh, not my top quarterback, but fits Denver's Denver well, I think. So your Jets, Jermaine Johnson at ten, Traylon Burks to the Commanders, Matt Corral, holy quarterback run, Vikings and Browns, Kenny Pickett to Cleveland, Trayvon Walker for the Ravens. David Ojabo, Andrew Boot to the Eagles, Trent McDuffie for the Chargers, Jamison Williams to the Saints, Trevor Penning for the Eagles, Tyler Linderbaum to the Steelers, Roger McCreary for the Pats, Devontae Wyatt for the Raiders, George Karloftis to the Cardinals, Jordan Davis to the Cowboys, Perry and Winfrey for the Bills, Kyler Gordon for the Titans, Garrett Wilson for the Bucks, Bernard Raymond for the Packers, Drake London to the Dolphins, Chris Olave for the Chiefs, Kenyon Green to the Bengals, Nicobe Dean for the Lions. Cameron Thomas for the Jags, Jahan Dawson to the Lions, Zion Johnson to your Jets, Devin Lloyd for the Giants, Boye Mafe to the Texans, Daniel Fa'alele, you get the big man for the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Tariq Woolen to the Bears. So Broncos back up. Wait, I just want to comment on the picks that we just went through, just a couple of them. One, I find it hilarious that the Browns went and stole your pick there. Uh, and it just feels like something that might actually happen. And two, another player that I've seen in majority of the drafts in the same spot is Jamison Williams there to the Saints. I've seen that happen a lot too. So I've also seen. I wouldn't Kenny be surprised Pickett. if it happened. I've also seen Kenny Pickett to the Saints too. Mm. Um, but here we go with the Broncos' second pick. They need an edge rusher. They need their Von Miller repel- replacement. Um, so, you know, it's not – there's not a lot of edge edge rush no. at uh, the top of the second round here because they all went in the back end of the first round. Yeah. Uh, but we do have some safeties. They don't really need a safety. Uh-huh. Uh they do I mean, need a, a it's a top five need for them, though. They do need linebackers, even though it's after those guys. Um, they have their all three of their linebackers are are their 
their top three inside linebackers are all free agents. Um, top edge is Logan Hall, which isn't a bad pick uh, from Houston. I see him as more of a 4-3 end than a 3-4 outside linebacker, which is what Denver runs. Uh, so then if you're looking for that guy, again, Enig Barre I don't think is that type of guy. Josh Pascal would be that guy. Uh, but the Broncos have that. Yeah, they have another pick that they could get him in. Um, so they're the top two safeties available. Uh, also, corner is a top need for them, but I don't think there's any corners here. No. <laughs> Not for a while. Kair Elam. Kair Elam is in the next one, yeah. So, Both, so, yeah, you can get him later, too, if he's still available. You know, offensive line, offensive tackle specifically. Again, nothing. <laughs> Not a good spot well, to be for the Broncos with how the draft is shaken out so far in terms of what they need. Yeah, so, I mean, I would go with one of three guys in this scenario. I'd go with one of those safeties or Christian Harris there at the bottom because they do need linebackers. At least it's a need of theirs, according to the to the website. Um yeah, I, I think one of those three guys is pretty much what I would debate between. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's going to be one of the safeties um, to pair with Justin Simmons, and uh-huh. I think it's going to be Dax Hill uh-huh. uh, because I think Simmons is their free safety. He is their coverage guy, and Dax Hill is more of a box safety in my mind, uh-huh. anyways. Um, Jaquan Brisker is a lot better in coverage, but can play. Uh, up in in the box as well. So but I think Dax Hill would have to be the, the pick. Uh yeah. going safety. So Seahawks, Logan Hall, look at that. Logan Hall goes one pick after it. Uh the, the commanders get their guy finally, Desmond Ritter. And then the Falcons are up. So we went corner number one. If we're just going best available, I, I mean if we want need to they need a safety too, uh, but do we help the defense or do we help Matt Ryan in his last two-ish years with the Falcons? Because David Bell's sitting there, uh, Kenneth Walker's sitting there. <laughs> I mean, if we were going to go offense, I'd probably go Walker over Bell. But I'm. I'm not really that concerned about the offense because, I mean, I know that they really don't have the receivers right now. But if they could somehow snag one in free agency and with we're still one, unsure one. about what's going on with uh, with Calvin Ridley, if he comes back, then you have him again. Um Plus, I still think that there's a few other receivers you could get in this draft, so I wouldn't go with uh, Bell here. Yeah. But we we've already said how historically bad the defense has been, and why not beef up the secondary even more and go with somebody like Brisker there? Yeah, they have no money, by the way, Chris, to to sign any free agents. Uh, well, they're currently around seven million over the cap. 
That's not terrible, though. That so, can be easily fixed. Not so easily with the Falcons because they already restructured Matt Ryan's deal and Jake Matthews' deal, um, which they talked about again on... I'm referencing that bold offseason uh, moves a, a lot, but um, very informative. Uh, the Falcons' bold offseason move was to trade Grady Jarrett um, because he is the one contract that's big that can get a lot of money off the books uh, to allow them to operate. Um, because I think they said signing all the draft picks and a couple free agents would get them to somewhere around $13 million over. Um, so essentially trading Grady Jarrett would alleviate that entire situation. Uh, but, and they'd get more a high draft pick for him too. So one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think Jaquan Brisker is, is the guy. Uh, unfortunately for the Falcons, they do need a lot of edge, but just like the Broncos needing it, this part of the draft we don't have any edge rushers. Uh, you know, Kingsley and Igbari, but he is 61st on the board. That's at the end of the round. So, mm-hmm. And the Falcons have another pick with the Titans pick at 57. So Yeah. And he's an option if he's still there. Yeah. So Brisker, it is. Hey, Penguins. Let's go. Jake Gensel, baby. Uh, one nothing. Penguins over the Hurricanes. DeMarvin Leal to the... Browns, Travis Jones for the Ravens, Kyer Elam to the Vikings, of course. They took a corner. Uh, David Bell. Hey, that's a that's a hometown pick right there, David Bell, going from Purdue to, to Indianapolis. Um, There's Anikbare. Uh Yeah, Kingsley Anikbare to the Chargers. Lewis Seen. I like that pick for the Saints. Christian Harris to the Dolphins. Again, that, that just seems like a Dolphins pick. Sean Ryan for the Eagles. Nicholas Petit-Frayer to the Steelers, Darian Kendrick for the Raiders, Brian Asamoa to the Patriots, Kenneth Walker to the Cardinals, interesting. Jalen Petrie for the Cowboys, that's a Cowboys pick. Josh Paschal to the Bills. So we still have no edge rushers <laughs> because the Bills just took the one that I kind of wanted for the Falcons. Uh, and there's literally nothing. But I think, I mean, we could stretch. Sam Howell is there. Um, <laughs> just saying. Sam Howell is there. Uh, the running backs are there. We can also keep a guy in state. Keep George Pickens in state if we want. Uh, or we can go down and get Arnold Ebicady, who I think would do just fine in the Falcon system. Uh, wait. Do we have another pick with the Falcons or no? They have their third round pick, which is 74. So, I mean, I think there's a chance that he would still be there for that pick. So I don't know if we really need to stretch for an edge right now. He is ranked 73. He's literally ranked a pick before they pick. But the teams have been passing on these running backs and quarterbacks. Um, so, I mean, that's really the question here. Do they like any of the quarterbacks enough to draft one and be the eventual successor? I'm kind of surprised that Howell has fallen this far. 
Again, though, do, do we want to, you know, go get a wide receiver to help Matt Ryan? It is the fourth greatest need. But I think if you're going to go wide receiver at 74, you can do, uh, yeah, like Wandale Rock. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think. I think Pickens would be a, a good place with the Falcons. Yeah. He'd be a Julio type player, uh, mm-hmm. where he's big, he's fast. Uh, George Pickens at the combine, six three, one ninety five. Um, small hands, small hands though. Small hands, eight and seven eighths. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, if he's the if he's that big body, deep threat. Like possession guy, I don't know. I don't know if I'd really want to risk that with those small hands. Look, I can tell you, George Pickens. I I didn't see him drop anything when when he played at Georgia. Uh, yeah. So I I don't think his hands are an issue at all. Um, <laughs> so is that the pick we're going with, George Pickens? Yeah. Keep him in state. Yeah. All right, Fidarian Mathis to the Packers, Abraham Lucas for the Bucks, John Mechie to the Niners, Isaiah Spiller for the Chiefs, Trey McBride to the Bengals. Your Jets do not get him. <laughs> There's, he, if he actually goes to the Bengals, I could definitely see him having a Hall of Fame career there with Joe Burrow throwing to him. Dude, they're just, but, uh, they're just throwing Uzama under the bus, bro. Like, come on. <laughs> CJ's a but, good person. Uh, right. So we got... The Broncos here. What do we get so far? We got the future quarterback and a safety. Yeah. Um, and according to this, their needs are still, <laughs> still edge and corner, <laughs> and offensive tackle are the top three right now. So, yeah, if you're looking at edge, I'm not too sure about my Jai Sanders or Drake Jackson what their strong suits are. Ebicady, I believe, could could play both. 4-3 DN and 3-4 outside linebackers, so I don't think that would be an issue going to Denver to play that. So I think that has to be the I mean, they have two more picks, um, yeah. but I just don't think... The other one, we scrolled past, you scrolled past it, and it's not a huge need. It's in the middle of their need list there, but a guy from Wyoming right there, yeah. Chad Muma, or Mama, how do you say Muma. Yeah. He's another interesting pick there. But I think Edge is a much bigger need. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got to reach for this one. I don't think he can wait much longer. Well, especially since we were going to pick him with the Falcons if he was still there. Yeah. So that he would not have been there for the next pick for the Broncos. Jags go Tyler Smith, Mario Goodrich for the Lions. There's Quarterback Sam Howell. Sam Howell to the Giants. Kirby Joseph uh, for the Texans. Ooh, I like that. Likely. There you go. You got a tight end, finally. I'll take that. Uh, Christian Watson for the Jags. Rasheed Walker to the Bears. Cordell Volson for the Seahawks. Damari Salyer to the Commanders. A little offensive line run there. Back on the Falcons. And of course, that's what the Falcons need, too, is offensive line. Yeah, there ain't no tackles here, though. They just went. Those two just went. Well, 
Do we want to go Sanders there? Because that's their biggest need. Yeah, and I see. I think Majai Sanders feels like a uh, a Falcons pick. Just that's a that's a gut feel right there. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, sure. Majai Sanders. Broncos back up right up right next. Um, do we have any corners? No. Got a lot of tight ends and linebackers. There you go, Taylor, right there is the next corner at 92. We can get him with our, our last pick. Broncos still got one more. Uh, Linebacker. Uh, yeah, we got to go Chad Muma at this point. Like I said, uh-huh. their top three inside linebackers are all free agents. Um, uh-huh. So, and there's no tackles either. So, Chad Muma, it is. Uh, Darian Kennard. We've got to be right Ravens. on one of these because we picked him in every draft so far. Zachary Carter for the Vikings. Calvin Austin to the Browns. Uh, Sky Moore for the Chargers. Carson Strong, Texans, third-round quarterback. Back-to-back years. Uh, Brees Hall for the Giants. There you go, Saquon's replacement. Yeah, yeah. Drake Jackson for the Colts, Darian Beavers for the Eagles, Matthew Butler for the Steelers, Damari Mathis for the Pats, Wandale Robinson for the Raiders, Jalen Weidermeyer to the Cards, Nick Benito for the Cowboys, Dylan Parham for the Bills, Kate Otten for the Titans, Jeremy Ruckert to the Bucks, Sam Williams for the Packers, Michael Wright uh, for the Niners, Damone Clark for the Chiefs. That's a pick right there. Kyle Phillips to the Bengals. Um, heck yes, the Buffalo Sabres scored. Let's go. All right, we're going back to back linebackers. Leo Chanel. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but we have a corner. You were right, Chris. <laughs> Alante Taylor is still there. Him and Marcus Jones. Uh, I, I like Jones better. But it depends what you want. Alante Taylor, in my mind, is a outside corner. He can play the opposite of uh, Pat Sertan. If you want a slot corner, that is Marcus Jones all day, and he is going to give you return value as well uh, in kick and punt returns. So. I mean, like you said, though, they already have Pat Sertan on the one side, on the outside. I don't think they necessarily need to go outside again. I think they should solidify the inside, the slot, and go with Jones. I'm down with that. I, I, you know, I like Marcus Jones. So, all right, finishing up Lions, Sterling Weatherford, Channing Tindall for the Browns, Alante Taylor to the Ravens, Andrew Stuber for the Saints, Tyreek Smith for the Dolphins, Nick Cross for the Chiefs, and Ed Ingram to the Super Bowl champs. So our picks for the Falcons and Broncos, we had a lot of them. This is probably the most picks we've had in a draft this mock yeah. so far. Uh, the Falcons, Ahmad Gardner at 8 from Cincinnati, corner. Uh, Broncos at 9, quarterback Malik Willis from Liberty. Broncos at 40, Daxon Hill, safety out of Michigan. Falcons at 43, Jaquan Brisker, safety out of Penn State. 
58, the Falcons go George Pickens, wide receiver out of Georgia. 64, the Broncos go uh, edge rusher Arnold Ebicady from Penn State. Falcons at 74, Majai Sanders, edge rusher for Cincinnati. Uh, Chad Muma, linebacker for from Wyoming to the Broncos at 75. And then Broncos at 96, Marcus Jones, corner out of Houston. Second round was very tough. We yeah. Could, we couldn't find edge rushers at all. Uh until the late second and early third. Uh, I think we got some solid ones there, though, at the end. Yeah, Especially Ebikide, or however you say it. Ebikide, yeah. I, I think, actually, the Falcons did better here than the, the Broncos did. Um, going best player available at eight, I think, was the right move. Um, not reaching for a, a pass rusher or whatever else. Um. And then I thought I thought Brisker and Pickens were very good picks as well at 40 mm-hmm. 58. So Yeah. Chris will have that up on the Instagram. Uh Oh yeah. You didn't post our last one, did you? I did today. Uh I didn't I don't think I saw it. I did right after you posted that uh that our, our friends were coming on today. That's probably why I didn't see it. <laughs> Cuz I was already in show mode. Uh Anyways, that is the show for today. Uh, we'll be back next Friday, uh, breaking down all the NFL news from the week. And next Friday uh, will be the last Friday show before free agency, so that'll be fun. Uh, and then we'll also continue our mock draft series numbers 13 and 14 with the Browns and Ravens drafts. Um, I will be drinking a beer, maybe multiple beers for that show, uh, considering I will have a midterm that day. Uh, the only midterm I have. So we'll need to de-stress, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for watching. It was a great show, our longest show in a while. Uh, but that's because we had two awesome guests. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Michelle, for both coming on today, talking about NIL. Very insightful. Yeah, it was, it was a great conversation at the beginning of the show. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all our social media, at FAA Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. FAAPodcast.com is our website. You can check us out here on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio as well. Thank you, Chris, and we'll see you back on Monday when we do our combine recap and uh, draft picks number 11 and 12. That is the Vikings, and I'm blanking on the other team. (laughs) I knew the Vikings, too. I I can't remember who the other team is. Is it Washington? Yes, the Commanders and the Vikings. We will have their mock Mm -hmm. draft on the Monday show. Thanks again, Chris. Which quarterback will we be taking with the <laughs> manager's pick? People have to tune in to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Chris, and we will see you back mm-hmm. on Monday. All right.